Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Gregan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a to be Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby podcast. We are the podcast getting you over the game line on all topics in Australian rugby. And tonight we've got a World Cup and NRC special edition podcast coming to you. Uh, it's been a few weeks since our last one. Um, obviously, after the, the Perth Bledisloe, fantastic result for the Wallabies. And, you know, we've had a few weeks without rugby in that time. No games since that. In fact, which is a bit of a long time away, I would have thought, but we've got Samoa coming up, then we're into the World Cup, as well as the NRC, so plenty to discuss. Uh, joining us uh, on the pod, he's uh, a regular producer, stepping into the uh, uh, the chair for tonight, is uh, Nick Wasiliev. Nick, how are you? This is a bit of a step up. First introduced. Wow. Moving up in the world, but very keen to be here and very keen to talk squads. Fantastic. There is... A lot to discuss, and and, and uh, also on tonight, he's a, a special guest of ours. He um, makes a fairly regular appearance. He's probably um, racking up a few caps now as a, as a uh, as a guest star on this uh, on this show. Almost getting up to regular character status, you'd think. Uh, Mr. Brett Mackay from the Raw, from uh, the ABC, from from Grandstand, from so many other things. Uh, Brett, how are you? Hello, hello, guys. It's uh, it's it's good that we're. Bridging that gap between regular and annual. It's great. <laughs> That's right. Great, That's right. We're slowly back, getting there. We're slowly getting there. Well, look, tonight uh, we've got our five burning questions as always. Um, and tonight we're going to be talking about uh, question one, um, what's the most surprising part of the World Cup squad? Uh, question two, um, what's the starting 15 going to look like in our, in our first game? Uh, and throughout the Cup, uh, question three, how far do you think the Wallabies are going to get? Question four, what are you most looking forward to about the NRC in 2019? And question five, uh, which, is, which NRC team is looking the most dangerous? Um, so plenty to discuss. Uh, let's get started. Um, the most surprising part about the squad. Um, Brett, I'll throw to you first. Um, you know, it's fair to say uh, you wrote an article on the Raw this week. It's fair to say there weren't many surprises with the squad. It was announced on Friday, uh, 31 uh, 31 members in that squad. Um, you know, there's probably a few on the fringes, though. Brett, what, what was the most surprising part for you? Um, it, in in hindsight, Hugh, it was it was how utterly unsurprising it was. Um, and 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 I say in hindsight because um, a week ago, I think there was you know the right amount of conjecture around around about, around a few different spots and, and and a few people on the fringe and, and in and out of the squad. But as soon as it was named, it just made obvious sense. Um, and the guys that missed out, um, I kind of expected to miss out. Uh, the guys that were named, I expected to be named. There's a there's a few quibbles here and there. There's there's a few quibbles. Like I, I do think Jack Dempsey was a bit lucky. I do think Adam Ashley Cooper was a bit lucky. But I can kind of see why they've been included. So, um, yeah. In in hindsight, it was just. So very, very obvious. And so considering how up in the air the Wallabies seemed to be at the start of the international season, which was only a month ago, uh, it feels like they've gone, they've come a long distance in not very much time at all. And uh, and then as I, as I wrote in, the, in that column, I think the 15 within that, and we'll get to it in a second shortly, I think the 15 is pretty well set as well. Well... I mean, I, I joked about it in the in the in the uh, introduction there, but you know we will, you know, face reality and that there was a, a pretty damaging uh, Bledisloe loss at Eden Park. Um, you know, I suppose we should address that for a second, and I'll touch because you touched on that there. I mean, should we expect to see any changes from that team? I'm um, surely in a, in a loss of that nature, a few a few reputations were certainly damaged. Um, you know, talking for example. Say Christian Leo Lafano didn't have a great game. Curly Beal didn't have a great game. I thought, you know, potentially Adam Coleman and, and Luke and Salakar Loto didn't have great games either. Do you think, you know, and I suppose we're probably getting ahead of ourselves for the next question, but um, you know, do, do you think those those players took a bit of a hit? Oh, look, I think if we're going to single guys out, I, I think you have to, we have to agree that everyone took a hit uh, in, in a game like that and a loss like that. I think that's that's only right. Um, 
there was only one change to the starting side from Perth to, to Auckland. That, that was Coleman in for, for Rory Arnold. So I think Rory Arnold and Isaac Rodder are very clearly the, um, the preferred lock pairing. So I think Arnold comes back in as soon as it's fit. So there'll be a natural change there. Um, and yeah, we, uh, we can we can, we can we can discuss other possibilities in a, in a moment, I suppose. But there'll be a natural, and there has been a natural reaction straight away. But um, the point now, though, is that you know the Samoa games only a week away. Um, Fiji and Sapporo is only a fortnight after that, and then they've got Wales straight away after that. So I actually think we're going to see what is pretty clearly the first fifteen. I think we're going to see that for the next couple of games in a row. Fair enough. Well, Nick, I suppose back to the original question, what, what was your surprise in the squad and, and um, your general takeaways from it? Well, I had a similar uh, response initially uh, to Brett in that, I mean, this squad, considering uh, the the victory that it delivered us in Perth, um, right now was it seemed like an ideal uh, squad to go with. Um, the one that did surprise me was uh, Jordan, the inclusion of Jordan Pattaya uh, in the centres because I don't think he's actually he's uncapped, isn't he? He hasn't played a, a single uh, match. Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah. Still, I know still, he's still uncapped, but long rooted. Yeah, well, I know he's he's done. He's he was in. He's been Australia, um, Australia schoolboys in the under twenties. He was in the under twenties last year, and I know that he was called into the squad. Uh, a while back, but he's he hasn't um, hasn't made it yet. So I'm I think that that is a big. Uh, I mean, he is a, a really exciting prospect, and it's a really a, a matter of not if he becomes a wallaby, but when. Um, so that one did was the one that did surprise me. In addition, as well, I thought that T, uh, Tavita Kirindrani, even though he's been outstanding uh, for the Brumbies. Um, his wallaby, uh, his wallaby form for the first couple of tests was a little bit patchy, um, but aside from that, I think you know this is probably the best squad we've got. The issue for me, though, and kind of touching back on the Bledisloe on Bledisloe two, isn't in the actual players themselves. I think the players themselves are. This is a great team. This has got the makings of a great team. Um, the issue, I think, lies in what sort of of game plan that Checker will bring because I think they had an excellent game plan in Perth. They, it was executed well. The ball bounced as well favourably their way and the All Blacks didn't have any responses. However, from that match in Eden Park, it was clear that the All Blacks had done their research on it and, try, and had come up with suitable ways to counteract that. So my worry is more in, not necessarily in the players as much, but how they actually execute this game plan going into the World Cup. So I think that match against Samoa is going to be really important, and um, not the least of which because of the starting 15, but also because of what style they're going to take going into the World Cup. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and look, from, from my perspective too, I think you know Adam Ashley Cooper is a surprise pick for mine. In, I mean, in the sense that I, I, he hasn't really done much off the bench uh, for the Wallabies so far. And you know, his season for the Waratahs was good in, in a reliable way, but, um, you know, fair to say it wasn't outstanding. The guy that I certainly feel for is, is Luke Jones. I, I think he put in a pretty good shift with the Rebels and, and had some chances off the bench with the Wallabies. And while it's fair to say he didn't grab those with both hands, I, I mean, Jack Dempsey hasn't even been in the squad. Um, and, you know, whilst I'm, I'm a Dempsey fan, admittedly, he remember I can still remember that uh, Bledisloe a few years ago in in uh, Brisbane where he was man of the match. Um, so you know, there, there's certainly runs on the board there. But if you were Luke Jones, you'd be feeling a bit stiff, wouldn't you, Brett? Going, Jesus, I've been I've been in the squad here. I've been um, you know with the team traveling and 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 you know making some appearances here, and I've been at the last minute bumped out of the squad in favour of a bloke who hasn't even been there. Yeah, yeah, I certainly take take that point. I mean, Dempsey was in it until after the Argentina test. He he played uh, against South Africa definitely, um, and did he play against Argentina as well? Was he on the bench? No, he wasn't. Just looking at the team there now. So he he was in the squad uh, for the first two tests. Definitely got dropped for the for Um Oh I, yeah, I I agree that that Jones is probably one of the unlucky ones because he adds he's just that additional lock cover as well if if need be. So. Um, He's he's one of those, um, but don't forget as well they've been operating with squads of thirty five and thirty six over the first four tests of the year, um, 
and Pocock was always going to come back in. Um, Jordan Pataya was in the squad for the for the two Bledisloe tests as well. So, um, you know, they've effectively gone from 36 down to 31. So, so naturally, there was going to be some unlucky guys, and, and Luke Jones probably headlines that. Yeah, and, and and that's 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 true, and and you're always going to have those debates on the fringes, aren't you? I mean, a lot of the online back and yeah. forth, on certainly on our side, has been essentially a lot of people ha- having a lot of strong opinions over positions thirty and thirty-one in the squad. Um, you know, these are these aren't um, people that are probably going to get on the field in, when we get to the pointy end of the competition. And I suppose that segues nicely into the next question around. The starting 15, and and I suppose let's let's actually not talk about 15 because we know a lot of lot of the positions are, are drilled down. Um, let's talk firstly about the back row. I think we can agree the tight five is is broadly settled, um, but the back row in particular, the sixth spot is is looking still pretty wide open. As much as Lukan Salakar Loto has been starting there in all, in all of the rugby championship games, um, Brett, where do you see? Him fitting in, where do you see David Pocock fitting in um, if and when he is fit? Yeah, that's the, um, that's the million-dollar question at the moment, isn't it? Look, I think, um, I think with Pocock, they're going to be ultra-conservative um, with him for the first month of his return, realistically. Um, and, uh, and apologies to anyone who just might have read me saying this this, this week because I've, I've said it a couple of times. I think they're going to absolutely take it easy with him and just bring him up to speed gradually so that he's ready to go when they really need him the most. So I fully expect that he'll come off the bench against Samoa, against Fiji. Maybe he's back to start for Wales, for example. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they leave him on the bench there, getting some game time against um, Uruguay and uh, uh, Georgia, maybe. Um, and, 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 and fingers crossed they, they can get through and, and start in the quarterfinals. So look, and then where he plays um that's that's the interesting one hooper's definitely going to be there i see absolutely no reason to change izzy nasarani um, i think he's made a pretty good fist of, uh, of international rugby and yeah he's and been just, fantastic yeah and look and that's just consistent with everything that he's done in professional in, in semi-professional rugby every, every time he's taken the step up be it from club rugby in brisbane to the nrc to Super Rugby to now international rugby, he's just you know like he's not only done well, he's excelled. Um, so I see absolutely no reason to take number eight away from him. Um, which means that if Pocock is going to start, it has to be at blindside, doesn't it? So um, you know then yeah, naturally have questions about lineout options and all that. You know that that becomes an argument in and of itself. Um, Salakai Lotto is under enormous pressure, uh, enormous pressure um, of of I've read and, and I like suggestion of him coming off the bench as an impact player covering lock and back row. I think that um, I think he could potentially offer more in that sort of role than he has done starting so far. And um, and and once again, I, I think as as we've seen and, and as the Wallabies coaching hierarchy has been guilty with someone like Ned Hannigan over the last couple of years, they're trying to have Salakai Lotor play as an Owen Finnegan-type physical player, that he's just it just doesn't suit his game. That's just not what his game does. Um, and, you know, I, I, I still don't quite understand why coaches think that a player who doesn't do a certain role at a lower level can suddenly do that role at a higher level. Um, but yet, here we are, and he started all four games, and there's been question marks over his performance in all four tests so far. It's a point I've made... Uh, on Lucan a few times, and I, it's worth making again here. Once again, I think he, those the people in the squad, the the other players, I have a I have a theory that they just love him, and the coaching staff love him too, because, and my my evidence for this is his result in the John Eels Medal, which I think nobody saw coming, where he essentially came second and was a, a clear second. Um, you know, that the, he um. I think uh, you know was a comfortable silver medalist there, which was I think you know most most pundits wouldn't have him in the top five or six players of that year, and he missed a chunk of games if you recall missing the spring tour um, after the death of his stepfather and, and that yeah. incident on the Gold Coast. So you know he missed sat out four games and still came second. So there obviously is a pretty high opinion of him in in, in and around the squad. Um, Nick, I suppose I'll, I'll I'll turn attention to the to the backs um, in particular. The number ten slot, Christian Elafano, 
fair to say, didn't light the world on fire in, in Auckland, missing a few um, very kickable penalties, um, certainly um, didn't have the stellar performance that we saw in Perth. Um, is, is, do you think we're going to see Bernard Foley uh, tested at some point in, in, in the squad? And can you see um, him potentially usurping Christian Lealofano as the tournament goes on? Yeah, it's it's fly half is a really interesting position. I mean, I thought as the rugby championship went, Christian Liliofano didn't like. Yes, he he did he didn't he wasn't like flashy or anything like that. But what was the thing that I did enjoy was that he was just more. He was very solid. He was consistent, and the scene that the ball that he was delivering was like to the backs and to actually kind of let loose those players um, was was really good and. I think it it goes. To, I think I'm kind of very much scratching my head over who, over who uh, of those two you would go with. I think um, going. I mean, because Foley's been around the system for for, for so long, and you know, you'd, I, you'd think that they would start with Foley, but despite getting shown up um, at Eden Park, I mean, it's a hard place to play um, on any day of the week, and. I think there is enough in that uh, championship position to say uh, from that from those championship performances. I mean, he was outstanding against uh, in Perth, and I mean, in against Argentina, it was a real old school grind um, where you need someone who can really kind of direct traffic and direct play really well. And for a lot of that game, he kind of was a, a key part in that. So, I mean, if it was me, I probably would start the. Um, Start the rugby, start the World Cup rather, probably with Foley. But I mean, Liliofano, you'd have to throw it into consideration. I mean, would you see him, Hugh, as for example, someone that would come off the bench, um, to, or do, you, or do you think that'd be someone, something that more Tamua would be more suited to? Yeah, well, it seems like Matt Tamua has been been tapped as the bench five eight, which which kind of surprises me, given you know I've long held the theory that he's twelve is his better position, and I think that was born out and, and when he was tried at 10 for the Wallabies last season. Um, it, it, it's interesting, though. I, I think the Perth lineup um, to answer the question around the starting 15, is, is what we'll take in. I think that, that, that showed itself on the field to be something that can work when it all clicks, and, and I think you're prepared to probably write Eden Park off as a, as a one-off, a, a bad day at the office, um, and, and certainly some things went against us there. So... I think that's what the uh, plan will be going in, and obviously there will be injuries as, as, and other things will will happen as the World Cup goes on. But certainly that's what what I think um, what I think Michael Checker will take in. Um, interesting to note we've got we've got a trial game against Samara uh, not this Saturday but the Saturday afterwards. It's going to be at the Western Sydney Stadium, and I think it's going to be a really good crowd. Um, big Islander community out in those parts of Sydney. So I think I recommend all Sydney sellers get out there because that new stadium is is, t- is fantastic. Um, I think we'll see a bit more experimentation there. Obviously, we'll see Bernard Foley. Um, I'd suggest starting at 10. We'll see um, a, a few other of the squad guys get a run that we haven't seen. Jack Dempsey being one, Dane Hallett-Petty, um, another Adam Ashley Cooper. Um, all the hyphenated surnames are coming out. Um, not Lucan <laughs> Salakar Loto, though. I th- I'd suggest you'll probably start from the bench. No, but... no, no room for Tatafu Plotter now. No room for Tatafu Plotter now. All Harry Johnson Holmes, for that matter. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, they... Totally um, missed still, opportunities. To be fair, two players that might still feature if there are injuries coming in. So, look, that, 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 it's an interesting squad, if, if one that's relatively unsurprising. Um, let's, let's ask the big question, though, question three. Let's, let's put put it on the line here um how, how do you reckon they'll go give us brett you start us off give us a, a prediction i want a um a prediction on on how far the wallabies will go and if that's not holding up the cup at the end of the tournament who will be the team that that will be doing that uh oh, look, look quarterfinals first and foremost has has to be the, um, the the goal and i think that that would be the goal for any of the top you know 10 teams realistically um yeah, once you can get to the quarterfinals, you can reset and, and, and go again from there. Um, and as we've seen, you've only got to go back to 2015 as well. Um, the Wallabies won, yeah, won a couple of games, beat, beat, beat New Zealand and Sydney, and then got a bit of a touch-up in, uh, over the ditch the, the next week. So the form was a bit up and down going into the World Cup, but they managed to go on a run, um, and that just kept them going. The momentum was really, really strong. So quarterfinal first and foremost... Um, and from there, it's entirely up to them. Um, and 
if it's not Australia winning it, then I think it's pretty obviously going to be New Zealand. Nick, what about you? Yeah, well, I've kind of been actually just looking at the fixtures ahead, and I feel like a lot of those games in the pool stage will be really determining on how far we actually go, because I think we're in Pool D and we've got Wales, Georgia, Fiji and Uruguay with us. So, So if, for example, we do a clean sweep, um, and and finish top of the table, then we face the runner-up of Pool C in the quarterfinals, which... Um, which is England, France, Argentina, isn't it? Well, realistically, uh, it's you'd assume, given their recent form, that England will be topping that, will be topping Pool C, and which means, realistically, we'll be coming up against either France or Argentina, and both of those teams... Um, the Wallabies haven't done so badly against in recent years. Um, by comparison, say if we were to be knocked off by uh, Fiji um, and uh, and lose, but but somehow manage to scrape in as runner-up or however it may be, so we lose to Wales rather or one or the other and finish in second, then we face the winner of uh, of pool of pool C, which would likely be England. So I think. I think that it means that those matches against the likes of Wales and Fiji are going to be extremely crucial mm. as to how far we get. Um, quick question, question on that notice, Nick. Which which of those two are you most worried about? Out of uh, out, Wales, out, out and Fiji. Of Wales and Fiji, yeah. Fiji, surprisingly, uh-huh. because That's I think... Be, well, I think Fiji, considering the... I, I think because with Wales, even though they are world number one and we have, uh, we did lose them last time we've played, we still have some ability occasionally to knock them off. I don't want to touch, I'm touching wood here right now. Um, but Fiji, you, you can, Fiji are, can be a surprise package. They are, yeah. you know, they have um, a lot of talent and I know that there's a very good chance that they're eyeing off this game as a real potential opportunity. Um, and they've proven that they have a lot of depth um, and a lot of the squad that of the of the Drua squad that cleaned up in the NRC last year will be over there, and it's I think you know of kind of of if we were to lose the game against Wales and Fiji, then we're out in the pool stages, mm. and yeah. which so you know at least if you knock off Fiji, you're at least getting through to the quarterfinals. Yeah. So I think of. All of the all of the games, surprisingly for me, I'm most worried about Fiji. Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. I, I I only ask the question because I've seen, and I'm sure, you, I'm sure you, perhaps you guys have as well. I've seen a lot of commentary, and, and I'd probably have to concede that it's probably commentary coming from um, from, a, from a very dark shade of grey coloured supporters um, over the ditch, uh, talk very much talking up Fiji's chances. Um, but in the last month. Fiji have lost to the the, the Maori All Blacks and, and and Japan as well, um, and 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 I'll and I'll take I'll take the point that you know perhaps they've they've still had players coming back from from Europe or whatever. I absolutely get that, and I'm not for a minute writing Fiji off, but I I have found it amusing this line of commentary that that suddenly has Fiji you know being a top five team. Suddenly, it's, you know, look, they're, they're going to be a, they're going to be a hard test. Make no bones about it. Um, they're not definitely going to be the Wallabies, though. Yeah, I, I, th- I agree, Brett. I, I think uh, I, I disagree with Nick. I think Fiji are probably a little overrated at the moment. Um, I'm not not to say that they again. It won't be a hard game. I'm, you know, remember this is a team that, albeit not at full strength, but when we played them um, in, uh, I think it was Brisbane. No, it wasn't. It was in Melbourne. Um, a few years ago, we, we beat them fairly comfortably. Um, I expect the game to be similar to what was at the World Cup in 2015, where I think it'll be yeah. a hard match, but I, I'd, I'd expect and, and, us to have my, too much my memories, my memories of that, Hugh, are, are that it was pretty tight for about 35 minutes, and then it just opened up a bit, and, and the Wallabies had it pretty well in Yeah, and, and we didn't, and we won't put 50 on them, but no, you know, if, no, if, it was, if it was the result is that sort of, yeah. It was 28-13. Yeah. That's right. That 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 sort of a result would be what I'd expect. Um, yeah. Look, my answer to to the original question. I mean, look, I, I I think I expect us to actually do better in the pool pool stages than than what I thought. And then 
um, yeah, I think we that that Bledisloe performance filled me with a lot of faith. And if we um, get into the right side of the draw where we avoid England um, and we end up in a in a in a pool in a quarter final with either France or or Argentina, then then that that lines us up into a semi final. And, and and look, once you once you're there, um, then then obviously anything can happen. I believe that I'd I'd say with some trepidation that I think we line up to have a semi final against Ireland. Um, and that was going to be my question. Who, who's, who's as the I've like, made who's before, the possibilities there um, is that Ireland have obviously never been to a World Cup semi final, um, so <laughs> um, tipping them to to reach that stage is is, is always a little bit fraught. But um, Irish fans can send correspondence to Hugh at that's Randall. right. Well, look, <laughs> me and the Irish have had a long long standing relationship, which I'm sure they've got my details. But um, I, I think. Then you know that, that that's a game where I think we'll be really close and 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 you know that we're, we're, but it's it's a winnable game and then Ireland as as we've just seen being pretty well dusted up by England they're they're not yeah. necessarily hitting their straps either and you could make an argument that they might have peaked maybe eighteen months ago so you know it, it's a, it's a really interesting tournament um, I think I'm going to tip us to get to the final I think um, if if results and fall our way then that's that's very possible and very achievable. I, I, I think there's also a chance we get dusted in the pool stages. Um it's it's really a wide quite a wide open question for Wallabies fans. But I tend towards the uh, optimistic side as as uh longer term listeners would be aware. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh fly the flag uh for for the team and hope that the Perth um the Perth result and the that Perth form can carry through into the cup. Hugh, um, and Hugh, on that positive note just, just highlighting my um, my lack of, uh, you know, forward World Cup planning completely. What you mentioned Ireland. Who who are the other semi final possibilities? Um, I believe off the top of my head um, that it could be South Africa, um, right? Or or Scotland, I think. So because yeah, no. Jeez. Yeah, we might might do a bit of research and update that in in a few minutes' time just to get the facts. But while I do that, how about we get to question four, which is the uh, NRC launched today um, with the uh, the, the uh, captains of the teams lining up for some some traditional photos uh, in the lead up to the to the tournament this year. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. Question four: What are you most looking forward to about the NRC in twenty nineteen? Well, I know it'll probably be a bit of a uh, an eye-rolling thing to start in New South Wales um, in regards to the NRC, but I've been kind of chatting to Brett about this for quite a while, that it seems to me that this year it looks like um, New South Wales rugby and the Waratahs look to be really on board uh, with the NRC. Um, and it was reflected in the fact that the the very first thing we heard about the NRC was the announcement of the New South Wales coaches which was actually a couple of months back. Um, and then with the announcement of the squad today, uh, well, uh, announcement of the squad earlier this uh, earlier this week, it is kind of interesting to see that compared to last year, uh, this year there seems to there is notably uh, a lot more uh, shoot shield talent in there, like, you know, for, for Sydney, the likes of Rory O'Connor, um, Shambek Levui, Ryan McCauley, a lot of, uh, and Lockie Swinton as well um, in in Sydney, in addition to, you know, a lot of uh, talent such as, you know, Harry Johnson Holmes, Chris Talakai in the Country Eagles. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it seems to me like that this year everyone kind of seems to be on the same page uh, here in New South Wales. And, I, frankly, I think it's great. Um, hopefully that will actually, in the end, translate to, th- uh, to results on the field because I think it – of all the states, uh, New, New South um, New South Wales has been the place where the NRC has probably struggled the most um, t- to really get a foothold. And I think off the off the back of you know a lot of people who, um, particularly uh, in the past, have, have viewed the NRC with some trepidation. But the the vibe I get is a little bit more optimistic, and I'm hopeful that either the Country Eagles or Sydney or both can actually start to string some wins together and, and get people beh- um, behind them um, because it'll I reckon it'll be really beneficial uh, for the game if the NRC was doing well in Sydney. Uh, of, of course, of course it is. And I see Brett Sydney have gone back to the, back to the future as it were with their strips, um, yes. a bit of a more traditional look. Um, 
Uh, what are your thoughts on the season twenty nineteen? Yeah, well, look, I was I was going to actually go down a very similar path, and I'll and I'll and I'll veer off that in just a minute. But you're right, um, Nick's absolutely spot on. The, the fact that the Waratahs have finally six seasons in <laughs> realised that the NRC is a genuine pathway, um, and, and it is you know the bridge, the the ever lengthening bridge between club rugby and, and, and Super Rugby, and so it's it's absolutely vital to be there for guys to be able to take that next step up. So um, I had had a chat this week to, to someone from the Waratahs and just just for just for background and I, and I just said, you know, what's what's changed? What's what's brought all this about? And, and they and there was a bit of concession that, you know, they sort of bit the bullet if you like and, and it actually sounds like there was conversations uh, with Queensland um, and and they make no um, they don't shy away from the fact that the Queensland model is absolutely what New South Wales are, are aiming for this year. And and I made the point when that was brought up that, you know, three titles in five years makes that a pretty good model to, to follow. So um, the big thing I've noticed this year about the two squads is that where in previous years there was a little bit of club alignment. I mean, you know, country origin players by and large still generally gravitated towards the Eagles, but you still had sort of Randwick and East and Sydney Union the last few years heading towards country and, and the, the, the North Shore clubs um, heading towards the Rays. This year, when you look at the squads, you see it's very much um, a, a bit of a scattergun. Um, if you look between the two squads, you've basically got the Sydney Uni, Uni first grade side um, is pretty well the, the covered there, 1 to 15 between the two squads and, and Warringah is obviously um, heavily represented as well. So there still is the country leanings, which is important, um, but obviously there isn't, you know, 35 guys of country origin uh, playing around in Sydney at, at, at that appropriate level. So they've, they've had to do the right thing, as Queensland have done for years with the Reds, and they've moved guys around to make sure they do get game time. So the first thing you notice is that Mitch Short will play for Sydney and Jake Gordon will play for New South Wales country. Um, you know, so these are your two halfbacks covered. Mac Mason's playing for, for country and you've got Donaldson and Harrison there for, um, for, for Sydney. So, you, you know, I think they've been really smart about it. They've been really strategic about it, uh, which is great to see. And, and again, I say finally. Um, but then there's nice touches, which is what you've hit at, Hugh, and they have absolutely gone back to the, the Sydney rugby, jer- rugby union jersey of the, you know, 70s, 80s representing era. This is, you know, the old... If you can find the old footage of the, uh, the the New South Wales country up the jumper play, Sydney were wearing exactly the same jerseys. That that royal blue with the yellow collar and the, and the two yellow stripes across the chest. I think that's fantastic that they've that they've done that. And so, you know, for all this talk about you know, made up teams that don't mean anything, well, here you go. You've got New South Wales country and you've got Sydney. It can't mean any more than that. Yeah, and, and, and you feel like we're sort of every year we're sort of honing the concept to something better and and yeah. as much as, you know, the the fans of the Rams or the Rays might might uh you know arc up and I know there are some out there, um you know, I think we've probably ended up at a, at a not not to mention the, the now the, the uh long lost Sydney stars, um, with Peter Playford who uh friend of the podcast. Um but you know, you feel like they're 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 closest to what it probably should have been from the start, um, yeah. with a closer alignment to the Super Rugby sides and that two team model, um, which probably you know, uh, there's a there's a better concentration of talent, which is yeah. which is something that's good to see. It, it, um, it, feel, it feels like the penny's dropped here, which which as you say is something that we've been crying out for uh, in terms of the NRC for for a long time, and for for mm. all the talk about what the future might hold for, for the competition. If, if if the penny has finally dropped, then, you know, then maybe the future of the competition is exactly what it is this year. You know, finally we've got seven representative sides and Fiji, and now we can just get on with the competition. I, I'd have no problem with this competition carrying on as it is for time, time and memorial now. So I think it's, look, I think it's, it's a great move. I'm glad it's, I'm glad the penny's dropped, um, and quite clearly, New South Wales have, have seen the benefits of that. So um, let's hope that brings some success. Um, I veered away from where I was going, and I'll quickly just say what I'm looking forward to this year is that um, I think we get a chance to see how the fly half stocks in Australia are, are going. Yeah. Um, all in all four teams next year, we're going to have a green number ten. And so 
Um, you know, in, in Canberra, the, we're going to see how Noel Lessio and, and Bailey Kearns will go. We're going to get a look at um, Isaac Lucas at six for Queensland um, and, and Hamish Stewart still very much in the, in the reckoning there as well. Um, I've mentioned the three options in New South Wales. I'm actually still not sure which way they're going to go down to Melbourne. So um, who they throw up down there from the rising is going to be crucial. And then you throw in someone from... Uh, from the from the force again, like you know, Jack McGregor, or or maybe it's um, Andrew Deegan again. Maybe can put their hand up, and who knows? Maybe there's a there's an opportunity for them um, um, in Super Rugby next year. Um, Nick, can I get your thoughts on on the uh, law variations of which the one that's probably caused the most uh, eyebrows to be raised is the uh, World Rugby Trial of the fifty twenty two kick, similar to the League forty twenty, uh, which obviously gives you a, a line-out um, if you can kick the ball successfully from your half into the opposition's 22 and find touch. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because my my thoughts on the face of it are, I think that it's going to really change the way the game is played because you have to think that you'll, you'll have to have two people in the backfield to try and prevent that because it's a, you know, the 40-20 with a league ball is a really quite difficult proposition, especially when you've got six, only six tackles to navigate. So there's a certain element of risk-reward from it, um, given you're you know, your spurning potentially a tackle to see if you can um, you know, catch the opposition off guard. But the 50-22 kick, to me, strikes me as, A, far easier to achieve uh, with a rugby ball, um, and not to mention a shorter distance to cover. Um, but uh, But... Yeah, also with an unlimited tackle count, you feel like it's something that a lot of teams are going to try if if play breaks down, you know, and even if they're in their own half, if they pass back, I'm, I'm not sure what the what the um, law is there around passing back into your own half and whether that still counts. But, um, yeah, I, I imagine it's going to have a fairly big impact on play. Yeah, well, I think this one was actually presented at World Rugby by Scott Scotty Johnson. Um, and I think the whole point behind it is to try and, you know, force players to, to drop out of the defensive line to prevent their opponents, you know, from kicking into touch, um, which was is the whole point of it is to, to kind of open up more space across the field. Um, rule changes in terms of trying to make the game faster, I feel like have really worked a lot in the past at NRC level um, because it has made the game a lot faster and really entertaining to watch. Um, even if the the games matches are high um, are high scoring affairs, I mean I'm open to the idea. Um, what I do think is also really good is the is the actual the other rule that they introduced, which was inter- to introduce a line dropout when the ball is held up over the line. Because uh, in the past, I've, I think we've tended to find that often if you attack has often been kind of encouraged much more than defence in NRC games, which has often meant that you see massive blowouts and often games scoring of 50 points plus. To actually kind of have a couple more rules introduced to reward good defence, I think um, is really important and will hopefully um, balance up um, introducing, kind of balance up with that entrepreneurial play that I think they'll want to try and do with the 50-22. I'm really curious. I think... um, in terms of how it will uh, change how the game is played, it'll be really interesting. But um, hey, if you you may as well give it a go. It's uh, if that's the way to try it. Yeah, fair enough, Brett. Any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Look, the um, the, the line dropout one really really interests me. And, and Nick, I think you're right. Um, I think in the past, uh, I think teams have probably been not happy to concede a try, but they've probably been okay with the thought of, all right, if we concede a try here on this, you know, 15-phase pick and drive from the opposition, we're going to get up there again and have a go go ourselves. So, you know, there hasn't hasn't been too much, you know, spilt milk around around conceding a try. But now all of a sudden there's genuine incentive to get your goal line defence right. Um, Equally, this now is going to change how teams do pick and drive because if you're going to pick and drive you've sort of got to be careful that you don't get too close because if you're dragged over and held up then it's a handover effect and the opposition can get it um equally there's there's natural flowings from all this equally do defensive teams that then win the dropout do they go deep and get the ball down the other end or do they actually try and risk a turnover and kick short to try and get get it themselves and then you know run it out of their own 22 um 
I think I think there's just so many interesting little elements about it, and and particularly given that none of the squads really um, have had much opportunity to uh, to train with them, certainly not play with them. So uh, I think that's going to be really curious. The, the points about the the fifty twenty two kick uh, are all spot on, Nick. And I have to admit, I hadn't even thought of the um, the, the the unlimited tackle count element to it, which of course is spot on. Um, uh, you know, fifty kicking from inside your half to find touch inside the 22, which is, you know, literally only 38 yards, 38 metres away, uh, 28 metres away, um, doesn't seem that difficult. But, yes, you're spot on. The, the element of having 20 phases to set up for it from, from a kick for a kick inside your own half, um, it seems rather generous. But, again, I'll be really interested to see how it goes because we've seen the NRC, it's, it's almost been the NRC that has brought back the propensity for Australian teams to to kick for the corner and go for the lineup drive, so um, you know let's let's see if teams can actually start building that sort of set piece play from inside their own half. Yeah, it's it's certainly going to be very interesting. But yeah, you, you, Nick's very right. Well, certainly be interesting to see how how it goes and worth a shot. Um, so we move on to question five, and I suppose we'll, we'll turn this much like the World Cup into a, into a tip. I mean, the question is, which NRC team is looking the most dangerous? I'll, I'll throw a side question in on that, which is also um, give us a tip for the winner and the runner-up as well. And, Nick, you're up first. This is a tough one um, because, <laughs> I mean, a lot of these squads are actually looking really good um, in terms of the talent that is available. Um, I, do, I don't think that the Fijian Drua will go back-to-back. Um, I think given the fact that they will have so many of their personnel um, overseas uh, that it really, I think it'll be a real test of the amount of depth they have. That being said, I mean, Fiji um, has a a huge amount of talent. Um, There's there's about, Nick, there's about 10 or a dozen from last year's squad in the World Cup squad, I think, from memories in there. Yeah, um, it's, there is, it is quite, I do think that that will will have an impact. I think, yeah. obviously, g- given uh, given the, the strength that they had in the first in the first two seasons, they've been nearly nigh unstoppable at home. Um, I reckon they'll still be in semi final contention, but I am not as convinced that they've got it in them to uh, to win uh, to win the toast rack. My money to win it is probably on the Western Force, um, p- simply because. Uh, this year, I think they, the fact that they've actually had more games, uh, they've had the global rapid rugby competition, and on top of it, they they actually pushed. I mean, over the weekend, they pushed the national team of uh, they pushed Tonga um, in a in a really close game, um, and uh, only just went down. I think only by about two points, um, which and, kind and of was, guess- and that was played at uh, played at. You know, world rugby laws for eighty minutes too. That like that wasn't wasn't under the seventy minute um, GRR variations either. So, mm, so that's yeah. that's an important point. Exactly, and I think that given that, on top of the fact you've got the likes of you know Chris Alcock, Heath Tessman um, in your squads, um, in addition to a, a lots of really exciting rising talent, talent like Cameron Orr um, and Jack Jack McGregor. Um, I reckon there'll be a, a, a really decent shot of, of winning it. And then again, I would like to see New, another New South Wales team do well, just because um, you know, aside from one uh, grand final loss, uh, which was New South Wales country against the Perth Spirit back in, in 2016, um, it would be really good to see a New South Wales team uh, make it all the way to the finals. Um, so I think... My tip is the force to win it. Um, it'd be hard pass to go past the Vikings to to meet them in the mm. uh, uh, as a runner up. What do you reckon, Brett? Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that, mate. I, th- I think Canberra and Perth very uh, Canberra and the Force very clearly start favourites, and and I tend to agree. I think just the fact that the Force have been playing together for two years effectively, um, they've got a they've got a rather uh, rather large advantage over every other squad in the competition. Um, I think your points about Fiji are, are pretty strong. They've only got three games at home this year as well, which will work against them. Um, and there's actually a little bit of travel involved there as well. They they play in Brisbane first, then back back in Suva. Then it's New South Wales country in Wollongong. 
and they've got two games. Then they're in uh, Tolka against against Sydney, and then it's Canberra, Melbourne away uh, before they play Queensland Country at home. So, um, yeah, look, I, I, if they could make the semis, it would be a hell of an achievement, I think, because I don't think their squad's quite as strong as last year. So, uh, I think Queensland Country might be a bit of a smoky, but just because they've their their back row unit. Is pretty settled. It's you know Angus Scott Young, Liam Wright, um, Harry Wilson, who's just signed a new contract with um, uh, with with the Reds for four years, I think, just just this week. So they look pretty settled. They've got you know Stewart and Tate McDermott. They obviously don't have Jordan Bataille, but they've got Fawaisatia out that wide. So um, you know Jock Campbell, Filippo Danguno. There's there's plenty of strike out that wide there as well. And uh, and I was actually thinking that that New South Wales country. Might be um, might be a sneaky look, uh, sneaky smokies there as well, Nick. I think I think there's just a nice. I think they've got the slight advantage in terms of the Waratah contracted players um, over yeah. Sydney, and so yeah, I just think I think the Eagles are just slightly ahead there. So uh, if it was if it was the Force Canberra Queensland Country New South Wales Country in the semis um, in what eight weeks time then. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I- interesting times ahead for the NRC. For what it's worth, I, I don't disagree. As a, as a bit of an outsider, um, not not having looked at the squads too much, there does tend to be a um, you know a, a pretty heavy weighting towards the the settled squads and the Super Rugby, the uh, the the, the uh, either the Melbourne and Br- Brumbies sides, the Canberra Vikings that have got one Super side, one NRC side. I think there's an advantage there, and also. Um, Obviously, the uh, Perth Spirit um, or Western Force, uh, as they're playing as now, I understand. So they're, they're you know, they're obviously the standouts for mine. And look, we're we're, we're wrapping up. I'll leave. Uh, one I just more just mentioned Melbourne, Hugh. So, so, sorry, we we haven't touched on Melbourne much. And the squad they they named last week only had Richard Hardwick and Robert Leota, um, Samisi Tupo, obviously. Uh, and Arurangi as their um, as as their listed rebels. There's a couple Ross Hallett Petties in there, Matt Phillips there as well. But um, I don't actually know where. There's a few others that weren't named. Uh, like I'm not sure where Billy Meeks, if he's playing in the NRC. I haven't seen Jack Maddox name anywhere. And I know he was playing club rugby in Sydney uh, when he was sent back from the Wallaby squad. So I don't know where he's going to pop up in the NRC because surely he will. Um, so you know Melbourne might actually be a bit of a smoky if. All their uh, their contracted players um, are, are back on board as well. The, the vibe I got from their squad was that it was a, a lot more um, club heavy. Um, well, and that's and that's and that's my point though, Hugh. My, my understanding is that all the rebels guy contracted guys are playing. So mm-hmm. it was strange for me that, that a lot of them weren't named. Yeah, interesting to see, and obviously it'd be interesting to see um, Lloyd Johansson pushing for a return of the Wallabies. Um, at the age of about 45, still playing in RC. So, uh, has, has anyone ever played for the Wallabies and the classic Wallabies in the same year? The same year, <laughs> yes. Adam Ashley Cooper, I think, might have made an appearance this year. But let's <laughs> move on. Um, let's finish with one prediction from each of you as well. We've had a winner. Can you give me one um, name of a player to watch, someone who you think is going to emerge uh, in this NRC as, as a real star of the future? Um... Oh, someone that I haven't mentioned before. Look, um, I'm I'm really curious to see to, to keep an eye on um, on Mac Mason. I have to admit, and, and it's not necessarily a star of the future because his his star's been rising for a long time, hasn't it? Um, it I think I think the the generally accepted uh, position on Mac Mason is that he's been horribly done over by New South Wales. Um, you know, while he was supposed to be understudying for, for Bernard Foley, he's done, done not much but getting coffee in three years. So uh, I'll be really interested to see what that's done for his play um, because I think there's a real uh, there's a real risk that Donaldson and Harrison go past him. And I think that would be chronically unfair if, if, that, if that was allowed to happen. So I think it's really important that, that the Waratahs put everything into Mac Mason, make sure that he has a good NRC so that he can actually... You know, get a, get a crack at you know at Super Rugby next year and um, and and do everything that we thought he would have been doing by now anyway. And uh, Nick, give me a name. Well, for me, um, we actually haven't touched on on Brisbane City that much in this uh, squat in uh, in this pod. However, 
um, there is one uh, really interesting decision that was made uh, in regards to their squad, which was the choice to have Fraser McWright um, as captain. And he's surrounded by, and which surprised me, there's a lot of of, ta- of uh, more uh, senior experience in that in that squad. I mean, for, he's only tw- age twenty, and I think he was in. He did have a he did have a couple of caps for Brisbane City last year, um, and has been in the Reds uh, lineup for quite a while. And I think earlier this year he was in the under twenty side um, that did so well mm-hmm. um, over in Argentina. I think he is an outstanding prospect. Um, and I am really, and I've, I can tell they've thrown him in the deep end. Brisbane City have, um, making him the captain. Um, I reckon they really see him as a real future potential uh, player, a senior player for the Reds. And I am really curious to see how he goes uh, in that uh, in that role um, as uh, in Brisbane City. So yeah, Fraser for me. It's it's not it's not unprecedented though, Nick. Is it? I mean, you, you think like James Tuttle was captaining Queensland Country when he was nineteen. So, mm. um, and I think Liam Wright might have even led them. Yeah, that's was right. Last year it was maybe the year before. So, um, it's not entirely unheard of. But you've actually just made me think of um, of a tweet that that Reg put out um, on on Tuesday, and he actually he made that same point. He said that. One of the other one of the other benefits of the NRC captaincy experience for some of our young staff. Fraser McWright, twenty; Angus Scott Young, twenty-two; Darcy Swain, twenty-two; Samisi Tupo, twenty. All with the skipper's armband, um, and all have experience heads around them. I added Ned Hannigan to that, who's going to come, who's going to captain New South Wales country. He's only twenty-four. Uh, mm. Lalakai Fakedi wouldn't be any older than that. He's captaining Sydney, um, and. Uh, and that's then just about covered. So there's going to be six young captains um, uh, around around the around the around the, the galaxy there, which is good. I mean, it's great yeah. to see that that this is the next level of talent going through um, coming through the ranks, and hopefully that'll be the next generation of of senior players. And I think it's really fantastic to see them getting that start early um, at the age that Fraser is at. So I reckon it's going to be. I'm really. I reckon he's going to do really well this year. Well, on that note, uh, positive note about uh, Brisbane City, uh, and I'm sure Reg will be very happy uh, wherever he is listening <laughs> to this. Um, and it's probably as, as good a note as any to wrap up. So look, thanks for thanks uh, for Brett and and Nick for coming on tonight. Um, certainly some exciting times ahead. I think we'll be back on the eve of the World Cup with it, probably a, a more detailed preview. Um, you know, with our usual rigorous analysis and detailed planning on uh, all the other squads um, from around the world. We might even have some foreign guests as well. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, but until next time, uh, this has been the Green and Gold Rugby Show, and have a great day. Heels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has to be at the Um But until next time, uh, this has been the Green and Gold Rugby Show, and we will see you next time. That was a smooth sign-off there, guys. Really, I mean, this is my my professional uh, the professional script. We'll try that again. <laughs>